If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Amazon Prime Video's phone battery graphic, Eddie Howe's birthday message for a 100-year-old, the anthropology of copycat goal celebrations, a semi-comprehensive list of every giant receptacle a ball has ever been kicked into in the name of half-time on-pitch entertainment, the indignity of the unused sub warm-down, the lack of true toxicity in the WSL, and forecasting where managerial touchline fashion trends go next. Brought to your ears by Goal Hanger Podcasts, this is Football Clichés, and Mesut Harland Dicks. Hello everyone and welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry. This is going to be Mesut Harland Dicks. Alongside me to run through them is David Walker. How are things? Yeah, very good. You? Yeah, good actually. What was your highlight, would you say, of the Football Supporters Association Awards night the other night? I would say mine was forcing the guys from a Cambridge United podcast to play each other at Happy Hunting Grounds off my phone in an extremely neon underground bar in Soho at about 3am. What a highlight that was. Good to road test it even further in the flesh. It works as a kind of pub thing. Yeah. I, I sort of took out the the bit where we have to sort of look up other seasons. That would have really sort of slowed it down, but they were loving it. So, you know, yeah, as you say, road tested. Uh, yeah, it was good. It was a, a good evening as always. Uh, well done to the guys from the Guardian Football Weekly for winning yet again. Six out of ten speech from Barry, I thought. Yeah, I mean, you know, how many times can you do it? Didn't get Max Russian up on uh, on Facetime this time. Do we mention the moment when Conor McNamara put you on the phone to the boss of Radio Five Live at about midnight? Or not? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a very ambitious project being planned there, but I guarantee it's not going to happen. And it was, it was purely red wine fueled. 
on Conor McNamara's part, so it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But I'll tell you what is going to happen. It's Mesut Harland Dixon. Our guest this time is comedian and self-styled former child geezer, Chloe Petz. How you doing? Yeah, really good. It's such a pleasure to be here. I've sort of gone on record quite a lot that... Um, I don't really get starstruck apart from around football pundits. It's a really strange sort of character, a character trait of mine. So the mention of Barry Glendenning set me all a quiver. Does he count <laughs> as a pundit? A quiver? <laughs> I think, what would you, what would you count him as? I would point. say pundit, commentator, critic. Yeah, pundit, pundit. I think pundits should cover a wider thing than we perhaps think, Dave. You know, it isn't just people on telly, it should be anyone. What do we call them in other cultures or commentators? We, we cultural commentators, don't we? So yeah, yeah. How would you self-identify you two? Rye, rye lookers, sideways lookers. <laughs> Definitely. Um, okay. Well, the the rye looker of Barry Glendenning set me all a quiver. Is is what, what I will say. What an exclusive club that is being <laughs> being sent to quiver by Barry Glendenning. I mean, I don't know, I don't know. But um, I was watching a video feature that you did for Sky Sports recently when you went to mm-hmm. train with Crystal Palace women. And uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed it all, but the highlight for me particularly was the way you celebrated beating Shauna Guyatt in a penalty <laughs> shootout. So this is a this is a trained professional footballer against you in a penalty shootout. And you celebrated the decisive penalty in such a balanced way. We'll talk about it in a moment, but let's hear it. <laughs> Honestly, don't, you can take solace in the fact that you're a professional footballer and this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Quite annoying music getting in the way there, but I, I just love the fact that you, you, you suddenly realised that you were almost to the point of lauding it over a professional footballer for beating them in a penalty shootout and then sort of soften the blow. It's superb. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I w- was worried that that came across as like an accidental sick burn, but I meant it as like to try and comfort her because I think one of the things that I find difficult in football is that I hate like bragging and being malicious. Like I really struggle with that. So like, you know, if, if, someone beats Palace my team and they're getting a bit leery at you and they're they're sort of like Liverpool fans do it all the time or they'll be like yeah we were just we were just too good for you today and it's like no 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 I want to engage in this I want to talk about like the ins and outs of the tactics you know the formation the game I don't want to sort of go to mudslinging so I felt so happy that I won that penalty shootout because I'm so competitive but I also just felt awful because I know what it's like to be on the other side you know so I, I always have a kind word for my opponents Were you alive for Liverpool 9 Crystal Palace nil? When was that? I'm going to say 1990 I wasn't alive for that That's good news for you then because you would have hated that <laughs> Absolutely hated it. <laughs> if if I had have been alive, then I would have probably, I, I imagine, be a baby. That's an interesting thought experiment. If I had have been alive in 1990, how old would I have been? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm glad I missed that one. I've struggled, but there've been there's been so many awful results through the through the years that I've I've had to really um, suck it up. But that's football, isn't it? You should take it personally, I think. Uh, but, you know, Dave's a Watford fan. He sympathises. It's fine. Right. Let's adjudication panel, before we get stuck into your footballing fascinations and irritations, some topical matters from the world of football. All things football, Dave. First up, Amazon Prime Video's coverage of the Premier League has always had a kind of low-key, innovative kind of feel to it. They've always introduced something that nobody else does. It might be a more casual way of doing things. It might be just a little flourish. This time, for their little first burst of Premier League live action this season, they've introduced Chloe, 
a little graphic above the scores in the top left-hand corner, denoting how many substitutions a team has left. But they don't appear. That it, it seems to me that they, those little graphic doesn't appear until somebody's made a substitution, because otherwise, if they appeared there at the start, no one would know what it means. And it's all just really weird. Is this vital information, do you think? I don't know. Maybe substitutions are more crucial now. It's interesting the way that the commentators introduced it in the Wolves-Burnley game last night, where it was they said it like they just invented player cam. But my question was, and they clearly had like a bit of prearranged banter about it where they were like, it's going to help us in the gantry too. So they did a bit of their sort of commentator co-com back and forth banter. But my question is, is you're allowed five substitutes, but you're only allowed them across three breaks. Is that correct? Yeah. So how are they denoting the three breaks? You know, this, this has been raised by our listeners. Uh, John Cook, Dave says, we need an answer. As of what it would show if a team makes one sub on three separate occasions, using up all of their windows, but not all of their five subs. I don't reckon, Dave, that Amazon have thought about this scenario. Uh, what, would it just all disappear? Or would you turn the remaining ones red? <laughs> was it? Uh, it'll look like they've had two people sent off. Also, when yeah. someone gets sent oh. off, where does that go? It's, it's too much. Was it you, Adam, that tweeted about the Amazon sign looking like a smiling fa- smiley yes. face? Yes. Well, how about... When they're not allowed any more subs, it goes to a frown. It's <laughs> too cryptic. It's too cryptic. It wouldn't work. But I tell you what, Chloe, tell you what worries me most about it. I mean, I, I admit that it might be slightly helpful because I don't reckon I know off the top of my head during a game how many substitutions my team has made, let alone anybody else's. But what worries me most about it is that it looks like a phone battery meter. <laughs> and anything less than full battery is very triggering to me. I'm a, I'm a firm 100% man at all times and I, I can't handle it. How do you maintain it? Do you have a power pack with you? Always charging, always charging. And then as soon as I step out the side of the house, power saving mode straight away. Because right. you never know but what you, might happen. Might get abducted. You might. Statistically, you're not in the demographic that would. But, you know, you, you could be... High net worth individuals, so... <laughs> um, I think it affects your battery health negatively and I think you should really reconsider that. Okay. Um, and I'm also told, Dave, that, you know, you should let your phone run down every now and then to keep it healthy. Exactly. The amount of times when we were on the uh, the live tour last year, more news on the next tour soon, mm. by the way, you looked over at my phone and couldn't handle when you saw that I was on like 33% or something. It's, it's fine. Awful. It's fine. Awful. Awful. Because uh, in my head, that isn't a third of the battery left. That means it's going to die now. I, I wonder as well, because um, in the Victorian times, there were no public toilets for women. So it was said that they were kept on a urinary leash, which meant that they could only sort of go out as far as their bladder could to handle it. And right. I'm worried that you're on a phone battery leash yeah. where you can only go as far as two thirds of your phone battery lasts. Is that it correct? Does, it doesn't dictate how far I go. It just dictates how anxious I get when I'm there. I haven't got to the point where I take a power. I'm not a power pack guy because that's that's too much. But uh, this is this is a tangent too far because I want to talk about this. <laughs> this is amazing. It came from Francis and um, Eddie Howe recorded a video message in a really kind of standard way to someone who's turned a hundred. They've hit the big 100, as nobody says. Now, <laughs> this video starts off fairly well, ticks all the boxes you'd imagine, and then ends in the most football way possible. A massive congratulations on your 100th birthday. An amazing moment. Hope you have a great day. Um, please enjoy it. And we will do our very best to try and bring you success and some cheer in and around your birthday. No, no. It's, it's been so long since we've had a really good in and around and that is a real return to form for the phrase, Chloe. In and around your birthday. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that to happen. It looked like um, it was one of those videos where he was going to get hit in the head 
like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Bruno Gimaraish knocks the ball over and whacks him in the head for a laugh. In and around is better than I could ever. That's in and around the birthday box. That's absolutely incredible. And Eddie, how I has know, he done that in earnest? I know. And on its own, it's good, Dave. But then if you, if you sort of widen the context of it, it's just, you know, give you some cheer in and around your birthday. So extra cheer, just you know to either side. It does sort of work in a way because especially for the hundredth, I think you are, you're going to have more than one day. You'll probably right. have a few celebrations well, before, afterwards, you know, birthday weekend, you know, you might sort of elongate the celebrations. Yeah. Also, I'm not sure the look on Eddie's house face as he's doing, does he know what he's doing? Is he in on this? <laughs> no way. No way. No, he's so football manager. Like he's, he's so controlled by f- earnest football manager speak that I think it's well within his natural locker to say that. And uh, I just love it. I, and as I said, I hadn't had a good in and around for so long. So it's, it's lovely to see. Yeah. Now, <laughs> maybe, now, maybe instead of uh, in future now, instead of getting a letter from the, um, from the King, because it's not a special getting a letter from Charles as it would have been from getting one from the Queen. You just get a, get a message time. from Eddie Howe when you turn 100. <laughs> <laughs> could be, could I'd be. I'd accept it. <laughs> Take, yeah, definitely. Busy guy. Right, final one for the adjudication panel this time. This is uh, former Everton flop Umar Nias scoring a backheel on the way to a hat-trick for Macclesfield against Tranmere in the Cheshire Senior Cup. But the notable thing about this clip is this little touchline shout, presumably from one of the coaching staff, as the cross is clipped into him. Dave, I'm convinced this is a specifically kind of lower league and certainly kind of non-league bit of man management, kind of instinctive in-game man management of don't mind it, don't mind it. What does don't mind it mean? I wonder whether this is a regional thing, right? Because I heard this uh, said for the first time when I was at a match recently with a friend of mine Hmm. who lives, he's from that part of the world. He's from sort of greater Manchester. And he was saying, yeah, don't mind it. Don't mind it. I, th- I quite like it. It's it's slightly Graham Taylor-esque. In the, <laughs> yeah. You could imagine he would have said it in a, in a, in a slightly different way, perhaps. Yeah. But like, yeah. it's that sort of yeah. way of commenting on football that's unfolding before you. Sort of reassuring in the moment. But yeah. it's a strange use of it, Chloe, because I think traditionally it's used for when a player tries something ambitious and it doesn't come off, but it hasn't really cost their team. And they're sort of mm. jogging back into position. And I will hear a manager say, don't mind that. Don't mind that, which basically means, you know, you gave it a good go and, you know, I want to see that sort of stuff. But in the moment, as the cross comes in, it's a completely pointless piece of feedback. There's nothing they can do with it. I think we need to make a distinction here of tone and the specifics of the... I'm going to say preposition, but I don't know if that's what I mean. He's not saying don't mind that. He's saying don't mind it. Okay. And for me, I have a slightly different interpretation of it, which is it's that sort of YouTubification of lower league football (laughs) where... I feel like coaches, like lower down coaches that used to be the sort of um, like bread and butter Allardyce men, I feel are now sort of thinking of themselves as like a, you know, a Pep Guardiola in waiting. They're just 10 promotions away from being a Premier League manager. And f- for me, that that felt a, that felt a little, um, it was said in a thick Northern accent, but it had the vibe of a sort of uh, cultured European coat. That, that, yeah. that's, that's how I read it. Yeah, I don't know. All I interpreted it as, Dave, is a sort of a slightly nervous shout. It's almost like they're trying to control the game themselves to... I don't find it offensive in any way. I don't mind it. I just, I, I, I've literally just said it. Um, but I, <laughs> I don't mind I just, it. I just want to know the meaning of it in, in that context. I don't think we'll ever get close to it. 
it stops short of being fully praiseworthy. It looks rubbish, but I'm all right with it. Which is such an odd thing to shout at someone while the cross is going in. Yeah, yeah, hedging your bets because it was a bit of it's a the, the goal has ended up being a bit of an improvisational skill from from Nias, who's obviously a player that's played at a much higher level than the rest of this team probably. But um, you know, it wasn't a great ball in, and I think that's kind of it. It's like it's almost like a percentages thing. And and, and again, to go back to the Graham Taylor reference, I, I was trying to think of what of where, why I said that, and I think it's in that famous clip in Impossible Job documentary when the ball goes through to whoever the striker is is it Wright or Ferdinand or who gets fouled by Kuman and doesn't oh, get Pla- sent off Platty I think Taylor's going it's good enough it's good enough that's it that's good enough go on Platty <laughs> with the big long ball in behind and it's yeah. that sort of thing it's like yeah. a percentage ball it yeah, will it's do yeah. yeah definitely definitely okay well I want to hear it again and uh, one day I'll understand what it means. But now it's time for Measure Harland Dicks with Chloe Pets. We start off, Chloe, with your fascinations of football. Now, as all great Measure Harland Dicks guests did, you sent me a list of 58 things <laughs> and then said, sort that lot out, which is just a, a great invitation. Don't mind that. So, <laughs> don't, don't mind that. Was that? I thought that was the right thing to do. I thought I'd 100%. give you more rather than less. Absolutely. But I, I, maybe I've created you an admin task that you didn't no, need. Better that than than scraping three things together <laughs> grudgingly. But it's fine. That didn't happen. Right. Your first fascination of football, please. So I've loved this since I was a small child and I can't believe that it's not spoken about more. But it is when a fully grown man, he tries to shout something when the stadium's a little bit silent and his voice breaks <laughs> mid-sentence. Right. I love it. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's your instinctive reaction here, Chloe? Is it kind of like vicarious kind of shame on their part? Do you feel embarrassed for them? Because it is, it's a really embarrassing thing to happen. I find it really funny. Yeah. I like it when, um, when sort of high status men at the football fail. I think that's my favourite <laughs> right. sort of genre of thing to happen at the football. And everyone's sort of looking at each other sniggering. And you know that you can't say anything because like if he knows that you're taking a mickey, then he could... Uh, lash out what, squeak at you squeaky squeak at you <laughs> but then I like it when um someone responds with a um a wolf whistle I know it's a bit sexist but I love it such a universal thing the wolf whistle at football that is that is the sort of reaction you'd expect you know or you know some sort of way but yeah that that wolf whistle you will expect that in a, a few seconds later it's quite a I, I do feel quite embarrassed for these sorts of people because I, I do think that it <laughs> it, t- it tend it tends to be the sort of person that doesn't shout all the time so they've had to pluck up the courage yeah, and they've yes. gone for it, but they're just yes. not—they're not used to the right sort of level of of voice required, the right pitch required for this sort of thing. And then, and oft, often when they stand up as well, they've sort of—they've literally stood up in a quiet moment to have a go at the ref or to have a go at a manager. It's always—it's usually a negative thing, isn't it? And kind of, yeah, you deserve it, really. If you're going to go out on a limb, you've got to get it right. Yeah, if it's been building up for ages, Chloe, that's where I think the embarrassment comes from. They've been thinking about doing it for a while, and then they do, and then they fucked it. It's, it was their big moment and they they have failed. And that's why I sort of, um, I really encourage vocal warm-ups before going to the football. Because <laughs> um, I think we're missing a trick. Like, I think we could um, we could add harmonies, you know, a bit of a descant at various different times. And <laughs> right. if he'd done his sort of, you know, round the ragged rock, the ragged rascal ran, then he's not, he's not breaking mid-sentence. So I think it's something we should consider. <laughs> the entire cop gargling before the before the kickoff <laughs> Lemon and doing honey. some do re mis 
the reason this kind of instinctively chimed with me, Chloe, and the reason why I went for the sympathy angle, first mm. of all, is because I think I have experienced this issue, but in a slightly different context. I have it at gigs. Interesting. And, and it's the moment where I contemplate if it's time or if my enjoyment has peaked just at the right moment or alternatively it's a moment of a song that only i particularly enjoy and i want to show that only i particularly enjoy it to do a woohoo oh now in the spirit of the cliches podcast i should do this properly yeah i would like that since it's like being at a gig i don't know if this is going to work or not Uh, i've got no faith in it i've got a good range but a woohoo is particularly difficult so it'll be a great moment of a song or an intro or something like that and you'll go woohoo (laughs) what and, really? <laughs> and I find, have I got it wrong? Is it just a woo? That's, that's a bit long for me. I think that's <laughs> okay. a bit much. I'm so embarrassed by that. I don't want it to go in the edit. I'm going to try it again. No, 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 no. It's going in the edit. It sounds yeah. like um, it sounds like it you're is. a Mario Kart and you've just overtaken someone. <laughs> okay, I'm having another go. I, I realise I got it wrong. And, keep and so, that you know, in. If you to... don't keep that in, then I'm going to swear through the rest of the podcast that you can't use anything. It's staying in, but I'm having another go. Okay. It's, I'm trying to think of the... I, the reason I got it wrong is because I can't remember the exact motivation for doing it. But it's, just like, it's clearly a bit that you love and you're going, woo! I, mean, I think it's just too long. Depending on what sort of gigs are you going to? What oh, sort so of music are we talking here? No, I'm going, I'm going, yeah! It's a yeah, I'm saying. I think like mid-song, it's more of a shorter, like if they've really hit a high note or something, then it's more of just a big, woo! Like it'll just be a short one and then like oh. followed by claps. If it's like at the end or at the encore, then you might you might give a big more of a, woo! No, David's got that right, actually. It's like a mid-song encore, woo-hoo. It's like a, like a, I really appreciate that this is, this is happening and thank you, God, that this is happening right this very moment, woo. Not a kind of, woo, yeah, come on. It's not one no. of those. It's not a little brief woo. No, I'm not having it, actually. I've got a question for you. Are you the sort of man that always has your hands in the air on a roller coaster? I haven't been one of for so long, but the answer it's, is definitely it's that, no. It's that energy. No, that's it's the, not. That's it's the energy not. that you're giving. <laughs> it is. That's forced fun. That's forced fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And your woohoo sounded oh, like, sounded like you, were, you were showing off. Oh, <laughs> but it, it happened. I, I, I nail it probably like four times out of ten. So I've stopped doing it. I think it's, it's just age. If you're putting yourself out there that much, then I, I don't think you can be criticised. But it's that success rate that makes you concerned about doing it. So the build up to doing it, you think, should I? Could I? Would I? <sighs> right. what, if, what if I get it wrong? And it's the same principle as Dave, as he explained. People around me will snigger. You need to it. start thinking like um, Harry Kane thinks about um, scoring goals. You know, So if, if you miss one, statistically, you're more likely to get the next one. I get a little routine going as well uh, in my own time. <laughs> like settle, settle down, little little gallopy run up and then yeah. do it. Right? <laughs> okay, got it. Stay, right, okay. Staying behind at the end of the gig to, to practice your woohoos for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what, that's what serious gig goers do. Good, stay behind later than everybody else. Right, okay, embarrassment peaking already, but... Let's hear your second fascination of football, please, Chloe. So this is a phenomenon that's been spoken about for some time. It's players copying the celebration of the player who just scored. Sadio Mane is obviously the master of this, the king of this. But I've noticed recently, and I'm not going to be able to give you examples because I can't remember, but I have noticed quite a lot that oftentimes a player who has not scored the goal will follow behind the player who has and copy their celebration. Trent Alexander-Arnold is coming to mind. Someone did it to him recently. So maybe it's a Liverpool thing, but I just want to sort of speculate on the psychological phenomena of why someone might instinctively 
copy the celebration. Dave, there are two angles to pursue here. First of all, I mean, the obvious one is that it is a Liverpool thing and it's just kind of a little ritual, a little thing between them. But my second point is, how conscious do you think this is? Do you think, do you think it is a kind of prearranged, we're having a bit of a laugh here? What kind of goal celebrations lend themselves to kind of instinctive copying? So, you know, sort of, I, I think there are some that, you see someone ahead of you doing it, you think, well, okay, I'm going to do that too. It, it's, you know, it's, it's camera friendly. It's going to look great. I mean, I don't think we can talk about this without, without getting into the knee slide discourse. Mm. Because I, I think we, we really are in an, in an era where that is just the default celebration. We're in the golden age of knee slides. Absolutely. <laughs> no yeah. And, and they lend themselves very well to, to successive waves of knee slides. Yeah, you know, quite the, infectious. Yeah. The first yeah. person will go and then, and then the others will be obviously be behind, behind that person. We'll yeah, <laughs> and I, I think I think Jack Grealish when Jack Grealish did his one on Sunday against Spurs and looked into the camera quite unsettlingly for for slightly just slightly too long that look into the camera was, but then someone else came in and did it behind him. But I, I've noticed a phenomenon as well of the like the knee slide pile up because there's not right. enough space and people yeah. knock into each other. Yeah, I'm convinced, Chloe, that that knee slides are the best goal celebration for this particular phenomenon, and especially from a kind of uh, unthinking kind of perspective rather than planning to do it because not only are they a sort of satisfying celebration to do and, and it's, it's nice to join in but also once a player has knee slid the goal scorer has knee slid ahead of everybody else they're at a lower level and the only way you're going to be able to interact with them and engage and join in the celebration is to get down to their level so you're going to have to knee slide as well so it's a functional thing as well as well as a celebratory thing I agree with that and I think we should consider the logistics of the copycat knee slide slightly more maybe we should introduce sort of like a chevron system where <laughs> y- y- you can only knee slide two chevrons apart so we don't get a pile up the assistant the assistant referee stepping in saying well (laughs) (laughs) i don't consider the knee slide in this phenomenon because i consider the knee slide to sort of be its own category i would say it's it's more noticeable if someone like hit the gritty or like did something like a bit suish or do do you know what i mean like i think it's those more strange rarer celebrations when you see someone do it and for me it doesn't even look like a conscious thing I think it might be a subconscious thing of like you're caught up in the moment and it always looks like someone just finds themselves just doing whatever the person's doing ahead which like a sort of mirroring mirroring of joy and I guess it's that compassion that we were talking about this is like big brother Um, body language expert levels of expertise here and if (laughs) that's good enough for me that's the sort of depth we need to go into I um would it work so we covered knee slides we've covered sort of more expressive celebrations of this phenomenon and then that makes more sense as well because it's like you know a, a choreographed dance between several teammates is always going to look better but what about Chloe what if it was like a really really mundane basic goal celebration just like a, just a, just an air punch and then someone else just comes up and just does it as well that would look rubbish but that happens constantly and that, I think okay. that's exactly what I'm talking about of just like people don't even realise that they're doing it they just come and they're like that's what my mate's doing and I'll, I'll do it I think we mirror body language more than we think and there's the armchair science for you <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to look out for this because I'm convinced you're right. You'll uh, see it everywhere. It, I promise you, you'll see it everywhere. It would look weird if, Dave, if teammates all did different goal celebrations. I mean, admittedly, if you didn't score the goal, you shouldn't really be going too hard on the celebration anyway, obviously, because <gasps> it's not your goal. That's a big claim, that. All right, Nigel Clough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but oh, I, I, you are you are right though. I mean I've never thought about the yeah, the the inverse of this situation. Yeah, if you had six or seven players all doing completely different things, it would be a complete mess. You get that in like climactic penalty shootouts, like where they all run off in different directions. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the only situation where it's allowed, but for 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 a bog standard 
run-of-the-mill league fixture goal can't be done. Just as an observation, that that is the best celebration where everyone's off in a different direction. And Dave, I'm really sorry, the best example that I can give is when the, the Palace De Boer season, where we were just so rubbish, and then Hodgson took over. Um, we beat you, I think, on a Tuesday night, and we were 1-0 down. And we scored two goals in like the last minute and it was James McArthur and everyone just went zooming off in a different direction. (laughs) And that for me is like the on-field version of limbs, like the 11 players become your various different limbs just going in all different directions. And it's, it's the best feeling in the whole entire world. I think it's, I think it's underappreciated display of player glee when they don't know where to go. I think it's just, yeah, just having to choose a direction and going with it. It's definitely not calculated. Right, your third fascination of football, please, Chloe. So it's, it's, a, it's a question, okay? And it's where have all the sponsored halftime challenges gone? So oh. I'm sure you guys are going to have amazing examples, but Palace used to be sponsored by Wix and mm. we had one called Bath Time Challenge which right. is they put a bath on the halfway line and you had to kick the ball into it from 50 yards away or something. I don't think I ever saw anyone win it. We had one called On Your Shed, Son. Same principle, just with the yep. shed. Did you have to kick it onto the shed or into the shed? How's that working? They removed the roof panel and you had to kick it into the <laughs> right. shed from, okay. from my memory. Or maybe completely, from the window, I don't remember. completely undermines the function of a shed that you might want to advertise <laughs> to me. <laughs> But so we asked our listeners, Chloe, about what they thought the classic piece of halftime entertainment was throughout history. And there was a lot of essentially people chipping the ball into kind of everyday things, basically. So the the shed one was a league wide thing. Apparently, really? On on Your Shed Sun was apparently like a league wide thing. So it was obviously a tie in perhaps with Wix. A Crystal Palace fan uh, piped up to say uh, they also cited the bathtub thing, but they said that it was called a game of two baths. A game of two baths. I forgot about a game of two baths. Were there two baths or one bath? Why would there be two? Because it's called a game of two bars. Oh, I think the name is just, oh, we'll just give it, we'll call it that, but don't they've worry about gone, it. They've gone name first and then work backwards. I'd be interested to know what type of bath it was as well, yeah. because if it's a, if it's a traditional me, household bath that's quite narrow, that's harder to get in than like a jacuzzi style bath, which is which is circular. It's definitely not going to be a jacuzzi style bath. Why would it? Well, you might um, want one. I mean, I mean, we'll get onto the kind of difficulty factor of this in a minute, Chloe, but the thing that troubles me about the bath is, I think sheds will... Shed, you, you clip a ball into a shed, like, as you do, and it will, it will rattle around in the shed and you've got it in. A bath, the moment that ball hits a bath with any velocity, it's bouncing out. It's rolling out, it's bouncing out. It's a horrible thing to chip a ball into. I want to say the word parabola. I don't know what that means, but it just feels right. You know, it, it feels like it's got a parabola shape and you hit, yeah, wherever you hit it, it's, it's bouncing out. I, I cannot see how a ball would stay in unless you chip it so delicately that it rolls up the bath and back down again. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. That oh, be. I like that. But yeah, as we as we are going to realise throughout this discussion, the degree of difficulties is crucial here. Uh, the great Elizabeth Barnard cites uh, Peterborough circa 2021, sponsored by Mick George Skips, Dave. They had a kick the ball into the skip competition for young kids. I mean, there are two things about this, Dave. First of all, again, a skip is kind of like a big bathtub, but, but hopefully a bit rougher. So the ball has some purchase so that's a good thing to kick it into. Secondly, I think a skip in the bigger picture context could be easier because, you know, there's potential for practising that in the wider world, like out in the streets. The streets won't forget. <laughs> <laughs> Kicking a ball into a skip. If you, if you had a ball and you see a skip, you're going to have a go, aren't you? Absolutely. All Absolutely. Day long. 
Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen. I remember being at a match at Peterborough and seeing this happen live, and it did look quite fun. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not as difficult as kicking it into into a bath or some of the other other receptacles. But with all of these things, kicking a ball into any of these objects, the thing that comes to mind when I think about it is this sort of weird idle thought slash anxiety that I have sometimes at football, where I just think to myself, if for whatever reason, today, I ended up on the pitch at halftime <laughs> having to kick something into something. Would these shoes be up to the job? It's awful. It's a huge deal. And as so many people clearly don't realise, especially when they get picked, that you are guaranteed to fall over. Your footwear is not conducive. But at the same time, Chloe, if you turned up to football wearing like moulded studs or like Astros in the hope that you get picked, that is just pathetic behaviour. So there's no way around it. It's real full kit wanker um, vibes. What I'd, So I recently um, was at a Palace women's game and they wanted me to take a pen on the pitch at half time. So oh, do I they love you taking pens at Palace. If they love me taking pens because I'm good. Like I, I, pets don't miss. I swear. <laughs> I, I think it should be like, you know, like American football. We should have a designated kicker and I should come out and do all pens because I, I, I think it's because in my brain, I don't know where I'm going to get put it. So the goalkeeper's like, what, what is she doing? I'm not and buying just... that. You say this. You said this in the featurette for Sky Sports, but do you know, in all three cases, you put the ball clearly exactly where you wanted it. So I don't want any of this. No. Okay. Okay. Fine. Yeah. I've I've got a I've I have got a tactic, but uh, I just wear my best. I I just wear my my trainers that don't look like football trainers, but I know that I can do a job in them. Do a yeah. job in them. <laughs> what a lovely way, brilliantly football way of putting it. It's, it's, it's also not just the slipping though, Adam. It's like, if I was wearing like a pair of boots, not football boots, but just like normal boots yeah, sure. you walk around in. Mm. It's like, can I get under the ball enough to chip oh, yeah. a ball? Oh, huge. Like, yeah. Yeah. Huge deal. So, okay. So what are specifically the best suited pair of mainstream footwear that aren't football equipment just in case you get called up i think a gazelle an adidas gazelle because it's like it's flat it's flat enough that you can like do what you want with the ball basically like it can't be too wedgy at the front and it's got a ribbed sole right there is there is an element of grip traction there there is an element of grip yeah yeah good okay good shout um, I'm going back to receptacles, though, because there's so much to cover. Greg Sykes writes in, Dave, says Huddersfield had um, a land the ball in a boot of a small hatchback parked behind the corner flag from the centre circle. Lean times. <laughs> that must have been pre kind of Russian takeover, I think, surely, because that sounds too Bob to me. Really too Bob. <laughs> I quite like it, though. But I think uh, compared to, the again, the bath and the skip, there's more chance of the ball staying in there. Yeah, it won't yeah. bounce back out. Yeah. Um, did they have the kind of that little ledge that you can put in in a car boot? You know, the thing that's up. That yeah, is a very good question. Yeah. That is the exact in right the question for the hanging <laughs> off the bar. <laughs> uh, it continues. Around the same time as all of this was pie and chips at Burnley, says Harry. Chloe, this was kicking pea like balls. This was football's painted green into the middle of a large pie. And this pie was not like a 2D affair. It had a, it had a proper giant foil kind of cup backing so a proper pie and you had to kick the the green pea through the hole in the middle of the pie amazing amazing commitment to the bit could not be more into that that is so up my street i would stick around i wouldn't be going for a half-time pint if that was happening i would be sticking around it feels like um, (laughs) i'm do you remember that show get your own back with dave benson phillips absolutely yeah yeah it's like that 
It's got that vibes. Right, two more for you. This is this is gets better and better and better. Nick Moss, halftime entertainment at Villa Park last season. You had to kick a ball from the goal line to a segmented circle on the halfway line. So this is a distance affair rather than a kind of chipping accuracy. You had you had to judge. It's like lawn bowls basically, like fucking hard. And it was virtually impossible to succeed. Nick says. The only time I ever saw a winner, Chloe, the kid won a year's supply of monster energy drink. <laughs> what? <laughs> what a ridiculous prize. Um, also, what is a year's supply? This has never been clarified to me. Is it one a day for a year? I think one a day. That's pretty unhealthy. I think that kid is getting 365 monster energy drinks and their parent is just absolutely sobbing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Giant cans as well. We're not talking 330 millilitres. Dave, this is insane. Delivered in one go on like a big pallet or do you get like... No, just a courier brings it one a day. <laughs> in a bath. <laughs> like, the, like the milkman. Just yeah, turns left up. it on your doorstep. He left it on your toilet. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it sounded quite glassy, like... Um, like as you said, like lawn bowls. And I was like, that's a bit classy for football. And then you said, year supply of Monster Energy drink. And I thought, there's the football. Yeah, that's We're back. Football. That's very EFL Monster Energy drink for a whole year. Right. It is halftime. I'm off to kick a ball into, a, I don't know, a witch's cauldron. <laughs> and we'll be back with the second half of Meza Harlandics with Chloe Pence. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to Football Clichés. We've done Chloe Petz's fascinations. Now it's time for what I guess we could call your Pets Noir, your irritations of football. I love that. Good work. Really good work, actually. I've got Very pluralisation correct, I believe. Charlie's not here to correct me. We're, we're going to trust you on this. Would you like to hear my first one? Unused subs having to go run around the pitch after the game to get their cardio in. <laughs> I just think... Uh- <laughs> If you haven't played them, don't make yep. them go running around. Let them have a day off. This is an interesting phenomenon, Chloe, because, you know, obviously there's a sports performance angle here. You know, cool down and all that sort of stuff. And I, I think it's um, deactivating, I think they might call it. Yeah, but, but you can't c- cool down. You've not, they've not cooled up. <laughs> That's the point, right? They're, un- they're unused subs. They've, they've, got they're to get not- their, they've got to get their yards in. That's literally it. If you haven't played, you have to go and get, you have to keep your body ticking over in a football performance context so that all your nutrition otherwise works. So so mm. they have to do it. But you, we mostly see it, Chloe, in the context of when the pundits are sort of half-heartedly sort of ruminating about the game that's just happened. And yeah. out the, behind them, you'll see these players going through their, their paces. And I think to myself, that is the least glamorous part of being a professional footballer tolerable no question but it, it's not glamorous I suppose the irritation is in the context of if it's that the team has lost I just feel really sorry for the people that have to go out and do it and it feels like the sort of um, professional footballing equivalent of like making your kid run up and down the stairs before bed to tire them out <laughs> yes yes uh, a noted phenomenon I can assure you yeah <laughs> is it fun Dave in any way it's when you see clearly very out of favour players doing it like the young kids you can think okay well they're they're looking to impress the yeah. proper pros 
they're obviously just, you know, the milliners of this world. They're doing it so they can keep their bodies ticking over. The proper kind of out of favour, never going to be picked by this manager and uh, as long as they're in charge kind of guys. Fair play for them for doing it. But I guess they're contractually obliged, aren't they? Yeah, but it, it is the sort of thing that you'd see like a high profile, out of favour player, a reporter who's still in the ground might take a photo of them and post it on Twitter saying Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang reduced to taking part in the warm down with mm. the with the kids after he didn't get on against whatever. It's like that sort of, it's that sort of scenario, isn't it? Yeah. Look how far this person's falling, huffing and puffing his way through the warm down. <laughs> the warm down. On a cold winter's night. On a related note, Chloe, I have to say, I'm never truly convinced that when subs who do come on, come on, are properly warmed up. Premier League clubs invest so much time and effort and resources into making sure their players are in tip-top condition. I'm convinced that they don't do a proper warm-up before they come on. I mean, obviously I'm not paying attention a great deal, but they don't look, there's not enough space to do a proper warm-up. They clearly haven't done it. So when it's my own team, I'm looking at them thinking, if you pull a hamstring in the next five minutes... That would be really annoying. They're in the corner, chatting away with the opposition. Yeah. Having a little natter, stretching a couple of, you know, kind of like PE level stretching. I'm not convinced they're doing it properly. I'm sceptical of that because sometimes when I do glance down, I'm like, your warm up looks like my full workout. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I would also say like maybe it's that, you know, when a sub gets onto the pitch and they do like a little burst of running, maybe that's because they haven't warmed up properly and they're like, oh, I better get a last a last minute sprint in. I love that. I love that burst. It's I, such I, a good burst. Yeah. Uh, interesting, actually. I think this was probably more common than it used to be, Dave, but I was watching Luton versus Arsenal on Tuesday night. And um, as they came back for the second half, the, the Luton performance coach had a few cones set out and the, the Luton players had to do a little sort of dart between them and then and then sprint off and it, like reactivation I guess and um, and some of them were up for it and some of them just weren't and then as soon as they darted through the cones they then just sort of dropped to a walking pace and stood around anyway completely <laughs> yeah, it, it, it must be just a purely psychological thing there can be no actual performance benefit from that but I, I think it's a great point you make about the the subs warming warming up or not warming up properly because you're right it's it's possibly the only area of football that I can think of off the top of my head that hasn't advanced to the level that you expect it to like but they're still doing the same warm-ups that they've always done like we saw the <laughs> Fulham had the exercise bikes next to the pitch for a little for a little yeah. bit in, and, in and the... they were lampooned for doing so yeah. but that makes so much sense if anything Chloe they should have in these massive ultra modern stadiums they should have bowels of the stadium where where potentially incoming subs are forced to go in for like two minutes and do a proper warm-up in a proper little sort of sports hall bit with all the equipment. And then you're ready. You don't need to watch the game while you're warming up, do you? Oh, get to grips with it. Don't need to. They could have it on TV screens as well, given that, yeah. you know, it's 2023. Yeah. I, I really loved um, the use of the word bowels there, the bowels of the stadium. Yep. And yeah, it would be cool to yeah send them there and it, it sort of be quite high tech and like, um you know, where James Bond goes to get all of his equipment. That's exactly how I'm picturing it. Exactly. <laughs> Morgan Freeman just stood there making sure they warm yeah. up properly. Morgan Freeman has to be there. <laughs> yeah, by yeah, law. Right. Uh, irritation number two, please, Chloe. Right. This one's controversial, but I'm irritated that the women's game isn't a bit more toxic. Okay. Because one of the reasons why I go to football is to jostle and be angry. And there's nothing that I love more than punching my way through that trough of ham at halftime. <laughs> because trough. when you feel aggy and when you feel jumped up, that's why Celes Park is so great. You feel compressed on all sides by it idiots and morons and that means that when Crystal Palace score a goal I am absolutely primed to have the 
greatest emotional experience of my life. Whereas at the women's football, I care just as passionately about it. And I want Crystal Palace women's and the Lionesses to win just as much as I do their, their male counterparts. However, there isn't that sort of low-lying feeling of something's about to kick off here that allows you to celebrate with flailing limbs and uninhibited joy. I think what, what happens at a women's football game is you go, woohoo, yay, this is... This is great. I love this. (laughs) Yeah, you you do a woohoo and you go, love that. I absolutely loved us scoring that goal. But do you know what else I like? Yoga and brunch with my friends. Oh. Whereas, you know, at the men's game, it's it's like blokes being like, I needed this. And I basically think the reason why this doesn't occur at the women's game yet is because there's not enough history. And I think as soon as we gain history and rivalries, I think that sort of gentle toxicity is going to come that is just going to make it absolutely wild. And we're seeing it already. Like, And I really, really love that that's the way the women's game's going. There are so many angles to this day, but I want to pick up on two potentially. First of all, the idea that the women's game just probably needs another 10, 20 years for rivalries to take hold, for bitterness to become ingrained, for kind of season-related misfortune to to. to to fester in a collective fan base for it to start becoming something that they then release onto another fan base. Now, the second point is, and this is, you know, a semi-sincere debate, I guess, is this sort of kind of ill feeling, this sort of lingering kind of agginess, is is that crucial to authentic football experience? Do we have to have it for for football to be taken seriously in any context? Well, up up to a point, obviously. Yeah, I think think there is that, as you say, there's that release of aggression in a a constructive way, which is a good thing. You know, obviously there there are circumstances where people cross the line and it it becomes a deeply problematic situation. So I think it is a slightly be careful what you wish for situation here. how, How much toxicity do we inject into this situation before we in danger of becoming a problem but I completely know where you're coming from having I've, I've been to plenty of women's matches and like I do remember the first one that I went to being struck by the difference in the atmosphere and the difference in the tone and that I also feel that that is a bit of a millstone round its neck sometimes it's constantly sort of patronised as oh isn't it nice we had a nice time out there today I was so great to see all the kids there and stuff and, and it's like that kind of yeah that is a nice thing and it's a good thing it's an inclusive environment but it does it does lack that edge it does like undermine it a touch too chloe if you take take for example the the current sort of classic crowd a sort of WSL game. My feeling about this, if we were ever to get to the stage, this this utopia that you speak of, of, of agginess, you're not going to be able to fast track it. Because like, can you imagine in a in like couple of years time, about 30, <laughs> 30 kids with foam fingers sort of chasing someone down the street? <laughs> yeah, we, we have to force them to go at each other. Yeah, like, a, like cage fighting before the game. No, obviously this agginess stuff, I'm kind of saying in jest because I will also say that like going to the women's games more and having that available to me in in recent years the way I would have really had to search it out before has been like one of the greatest privileges because just like existing as a visibly gay person in football and environments it's not a given that that's always a safe space whereas at the women's game I just always feel welcome at home like everything's going to be okay and Obviously, I would never trade that off for the world. It's it's so brilliant. I think we just need some kind of middle ground where you can go, you're shit, ah, and, you know, give a wanker sign to an eight-year-old on the opposite team. That's what I would like, right? Just like the banter levels of toxicity, never for it to go into sort of like there being like proper firms that fight each other and stuff. And I think conversely, what the men's game should do is borrow from the women's game 
sort of as a trade-off. And I think one of the reasons why the women's game is so uh, popular, particularly the Lionesses, I think one of the reasons why they captured our heart is not only because they're brilliant, but also because you're like, who's going out with who? So I want the men's game to be a bit gayer. I'm 100% sure, certain that there are more gay men in men's football than we think there are but because we haven't created an environment in which they feel safe enough to come out what I think we should do until they feel safe enough to come out is a sort of positive discrimination thing where there's a draft system every season where two players per men's team are the allotted gays and we force them to go out (laughs) (laughs) okay I'm here for it a a real proactive approach to this I love it again you're fast tracking the scenario that's what I'm saying the toss at the beginning of the game has a very different meaning. Yeah. Less heads and tails, more tops and bottoms. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Fascinating angle to fantasy football for next season. Um, okay, so basically what you're saying is you, you, you want uh, women's football to thrive and be as equally as accessible as it is now, but you don't want it to be a family-friendly atmosphere. You don't want it to foster the sense that football, the world's game, is for everybody. Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I also want to force men to be gay. That's my manifesto. <laughs> What a manifesto. (laughs) Two pronged, covers so many bases. Right, your third and final irritation of football, please, Chloe. It's a cracker. A question, why is manager's fashion so bad? Mm. Even the supposedly trendy ones, I think, dress in a way that is absolutely deplorable. I'm sorry, I think Pep Guardiola looks rubbish. What do you think? Mostly because he has to wear those horrendous City-branded stuff that they make them wear on those trips, especially. I'm convinced they have the worst merch. Awful. I don't know. I have never measured it. But I'm convinced they do. It's just cause, I think it's because their brand name, <laughs> Citizens, never looks good and blazoned on anything. But so, Chloe, if you could approximate the current Premier League managerial look, how, what would you equate it to? It's lots of black, dark colours. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, I don't think it matches the current fashion, but I guess like maybe I'm thinking of more like East London hipster fashion rather than like what football fashion is. Because, you know, it's very like slim lines. Yeah. And... Yeah, I would say very. it's very sort of mainland European, I guess, because a lot of them are from mainland Europe. But I'd like to see someone wear like like a wide leg trouser and a I nice shirt. I was going to say, shirt. maybe that is the next era because it, it, we are still... I mean, Chloe's right, it, it, but as, then you have to factor in that these are basically, on average... 43-year-old men. <laughs> they are, their tastes are going to be five to ten years old in a safety zone. They're not going to go for baggy jeans it's just not going to happen but but what i would say and this is i think i think this is a subject that's covered a lot i think but i think it's important that we we tackle the very moment that we're in because dave i think we're firmly in the current era now trainers sort of pundit style or otherwise are now the standard smart casual trousers arteta sort of going sort of sort of slim line black trousers or something like that. black jumpers as chloe pointed out so there's a lot of black going on it's all very kind of smart casual so we're in this era now the 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 era of managers in suits is weirdly distant memory now so it's time to stock take where we are and i'll give you an example dave luton versus arsenal again on tuesday night rob edwards big gray hooded puffer jacket uh, which i can i can i tell you is 1150 pounds what i think that's, that's pretty standard for a premier league manager's coat but wow, okay okay scott parker's absurd uh, blazers were around the same price mark recently but <laughs> It was just a weird shade of grey, Dave. It felt it felt a bit too civilian. Like he could have just like he's a good looking guy and he modelled it well, but it did look like he was just wandered in 
out of nowhere. He didn't look like a manager. There, there should be a limit on these things. I think, we, I think we're going crazy. If we go too European and bad genes. Problem is, right, like whenever you get someone like Scott Parker who, who dares to sort of step outside of the, the whatever the convention of the time is and wears his, his cardigan with four stripes on the arm or get, gets a tailored blazer or whatever, he gets lampooned or, or, or equally becomes the subject of some sort of pretty dull feature. So like... It's you kind of well, just you may as well just join in with the rest of them and keep it simple, right? But they have a job to do, Chloe. This isn't. I mean, their first instinct isn't necessarily to look good, so we can we can remove that from the equation. They have a lot of prancing around to do on the touchline. Mm. They they have probably have to wear comfortable clothing. So is their current look actually conducive for that? They push. Why just wear just wear like a nice tracksuit with a big old coat to keep you warm well do you I, have to be the fashionable figurehead of your team well i kind of like them too because okay. i think if you've got that amount of money like if i had that amount of money i would spend it exclusively on clothes and i'm just wondering i think the point you made earlier about the age of the managers i wonder if we'll see like a different kind of style coming through as players retire and become managers in the next 10 to 15 years and i'm wondering like you know like footballer fits on instagram whether like you know, Jules Conde or something will take over, uh, take over Barcelona in the future and like come with, you know, amazing like balloon trousers, like a big, a big like hood rich jacket or something like that. Do, do you think that's where it's going? Or do you well, think it will always be this quite like smart, tailored? Yeah, there's an evolution. There's an evolution going on. Like we are, as I said, we've departed from managers wearing suits, old school managers wearing suits, like, you know, proper sort of grand managers. Yeah. And now we're, we're firmly into an era of recent ex-players who have gone straight into, you know, via a UEFA Pro license, straight into the job. So uh, Arteta, again, being the perfect example. So they are departing from that template, but it, they still, they're still clearly dressing like they think managers should dress in this current era. Sure. So, we're, so the next stage are, is exactly what you're talking about. Players just wearing whatever they want. But I just fear it's already a bit mufty day. It's, a, it's lawless already. And, and that's within the narrow band of fashion that we're already seeing. I, it's my own preconception, maybe. That's, that's the problem. But So, so I guess, I guess the, the philosophical question is like, should a manager sort of be like vaguely conformist or can a manager really express their own personality on the touchline? Because then I guess it becomes like, I just interviewed um, Mark White from Dorkin and he's obviously like very idiosyncratic very distinct in the way that he dresses even though it is sort of still in that that vibe of you know skinny jeans and a, and a tight tight jumper sort of thing but I guess that's like a very deliberate thing from him because he he becomes the figurehead of this this band of brothers kind of thing so I, I guess it's it's like it, it's got to be like a more deliberate considered thing of who you're going to be. Yeah, it's always, that's that's the problem as well, David. It's always going to look like a strategy, and then you're going to get lampooned for that as well. Like, where did, where did we stand on Eric Ten Hag's flat cap the other night? I'm not sure if that's befitting of the Manchester United manager or not. <laughs> no, it's no, it's not. You can't be a big big six manager. Sorry to go all keezy on yeah, you there. That is, <laughs> but, yeah, that'll be what he goes for next. See, amazed because he hasn't picked up on it actually now. But um, we asked our listeners, Chloe, what they thought the next era, the next plausible era of touchline managerial fashion trends would look like. And these were the best two responses, I'm ashamed to say. Number one from DB says, I think it's a matter of time until we see a manager vaping in a smaller <laughs> European league. <laughs> yes, I can see that. My, I mean, Bielsa, surely. Surely he's yeah. the, the vape guy. And, and like Vaping in a proper kind of standing outside a club kind of way with that sort of mannerism, sort of blowing it over your shoulder, yeah, not yeah, just yeah. puffing away out of nervousness, doing it, doing it out of sort of semi-conscious kind of 
fashion. They could do like, get one of those industrial ones that looks like a sonic screwdriver, which blows loads of smoke, stand by the tunnel, blow it as the players come out and it'll be like stars in your eyes. (laughs) Yeah, I I can see it happening. I can see it happening. (laughs) Health and safety will have a field day, but I can see it happening. Secondly, and finally, Danny Jaber, Dave says, I'm expecting to see Crocs in the near future. Not a Crocs man myself. Do not see their benefit, nor their function, nor their appeal. But why wouldn't a manager do it? Why wouldn't they? They're standing on AstroTurf all day. Crocs and AstroTurf could go together. But then to take it back to what we were discussing earlier about on-pitch footwear and needing to needing to have the right stuff at a moment's notice, if the ball comes to them, I'm not sure if that... Mm. Is that, is that going to be good for them to... flying off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that will be misconstrued, Chloe, as like an act of dissent, defiance, anger. Yeah. And, uh, and their reputation would suffer. So that's the reason. You've got to have securely fastened shoes but the fans could sing get your crocs off to them get your crocs off get you that would be a good chant i'm painted in that can you paint it <laughs> okay. <a> chant? <laughs> no okay trademark um, yeah yes potentially uh, but you'll have to it, as soon as you invent it and it gathers any traction you will have to prepare yourself for 15 fan bases copying it and then singing it for the next year um, <laughs> and that's the price you'll have to pay um, but you've already been an influencer on this podcast tremendous choices we touched on some really serious stuff today actually guys really good i always do get a little bit serious at times when it yeah. comes to football but um it's just a laugh in it football is is ultimately just just a big laugh and yet the best bit was still troughs of ham <laughs> so <laughs> oh i'm pleased to hear it <laughs> kick a ball into a trough of ham at half time <laughs> <laughs> that would be what a what a sight that would be brilliant stuff thank you so much chloe uh, it's been a pleasure thanks for having me uh, it's, it's been a real pleasure to be on here thanks to you dave walker thank you and thanks everyone for listening we'll be back with the adjudication panel on tuesday see you later sports social podcast network